If you've attended a memorial service, you've heard the words. If you walk through a cemetery, you've read them. They're quoted at the gravesides of paupers carved on the headstones of kings. You may have spoken them for comfort during this pandemic. Those who know nothing of the Bible know this part of the Bible, and those who quote no scripture can remember this scripture, the one about the valley and the shadow and the shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now why? Why are these words so treasured? Why is this verse so beloved? David, who often faced death at every turn, grants us an important reminder that helps us surrender our fear of the grave, even in times like this with the coronavirus. Now all have to face it. In a life marked by doctor appointments and dentist appointments and school appointments, there's one appointment that none of us will miss, and that is the appointment with death. Several years ago, I received an urgent call to visit a dying man in the hospital. I didn't know Peter well, but well enough to know that he was paying a high price for his years of hard living. The drug and alcohol abuse had, had perforated his system, and though he had made peace with God through Christ, his liver was at conflict with his body. When his ex-wife phoned me, she was standing at his bedside. Peter, she explained, was knocking at death's door. And though I hurried, he entered it just seconds before I arrived. The hospital room had a, uh, a just-happened feel to it. She saw me enter, and she looked up, and with her eyes and with her words, she explained, he just left. He silently slipped out, exited, departed. One moment here, the next moment, where? He passed, not away, but on, yet on to where, and in what form, and to what place, and in what matter. And once there, what did he see, or know, or do? Oh, we so desire to know. Who in your life just left? When the breathing of your husband ceased, the beating heart in your womb stopped when the beep of your grandmother's monitor became a flatline tone, what happened in that moment? Death is hard for us to face, especially when it seems like the ultimate end. But what if death were more like the, the end of a movie before you put in the sequel, rather than the dead end of a long road? Look at this scripture from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 27. Everyone must die once, and after that, be judged by God. Oh, how we'd like to change that verse. Just a word or two would suffice. Nearly everyone must die, or everyone but me must die, or everyone who forgets to eat right and take vitamins must die. Those are not God's words. In his plan, everyone must eventually die. Even those who eat right, take their vitamins, or, or wear their masks during the COVID outbreak. The wise remember this. The wise remember the brevity of life. Exercise may buy us a few more heartbeats. Medicine may grant us a few more breaths. 
A quarantine may hold it at bay, but in the end, there is an end. What will happen to you during your final moment? Barring the return of Christ, you will have one. A last gasp, a final pulse. Your lungs will empty, your blood will still. When asked the question, what will we be after we die, the human race has conjured up many answers. But Christianity posits a wonderful, surprising idea, and that is this. What you had before your death, you'll have after your death, only better. Much, much better. It says you'll go to paradise, heaven. Not home yet, but paradise. Upon the return of Christ, you'll receive a spiritual body. You'll inhabit a restored universe. This is the promise of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 54. Do you know this verse? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Now we believe this promise because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, the resurrection changed everything. Had the body of Jesus decayed into dust in the borrowed tomb? Well, this would not be true. But his resurrection is the picture and promise of our own. Because Jesus was victorious over death in the grave, death is no longer the end. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says that he now holds the keys to both death and the grave. He said, I am the living one. I died, but look. I'm alive forever and ever. And behold, I hold the keys of death in the grave. In other words, he set us free from its power. It's hold on us. Death no longer has the final say. The one who defeated the grave defeated it for us as well. Death is no longer something to be feared. Jesus has won the victory. In 1066, one of history's most decisive battles was fought. William, Duke of Normandy, dared to invade England. He confidently approached his formidable opponent with his secret weapon, an invention that would give his army the edge, the stirrup. The English on foot would be easily conquered by the Normans standing secure in their stirrups. Because they had a way to stand in the battle, they were victorious. Boy, life can feel like a battle, don't you think? Whether it's fighting fear, depression, temptation, COVID-19. But on the battleground of life, Christians have been assured the victory. We have a way to stand strong in the battle. Jesus, the Lord of heaven, the defeater of death, he's our secret weapon. We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. We do not lose heart, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Now hear what Paul called light and momentary. Not what I would have called them, I think you'll agree. Imprisoned, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked three times, in constant danger, hungry and thirsty, light and momentary troubles? How could Paul describe endless trials with that phrase? And you, 
You may not have been physically beaten up like Paul, but maybe you feel beaten up by life. Maybe you weren't shipwrecked on an island, but your, your business was shipwrecked by the waves of COVID-19. Maybe you're not facing Roman soldiers, but you feel like it's a battle just to make it to the next day right now. If so, let me encourage you with this. The Bible says God always leads us to triumph in Christ. Our victory is not temporary, but eternal. Jesus fought the ultimate battle so we could have the final victory. Because of Jesus Christ, you have already won in this life. You are assured that the trials you face today are only temporary. They do not determine your destiny. No matter what battle you walk through, including the trials of this pandemic, the ultimate prize is worth waiting for and is waiting for you. You are assured that you will someday stand before the face of God and see the King of Kings in a world where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. With hopes of earning extra cash, my dad once took a three-month job assignment in New England. I was 10 years old, midway between training wheels and girlfriends. I thought much about baseball and bubblegum. Can't say I ever thought once about Bangor, Maine, until Dad went there. When he did, I found the town on the map. I calculated the distance between the Texas Plains and the Lobster Coast. My teacher let me write a report on Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and my dad sent us a jug of maple syrup. Our family lived in two worlds, ours and his. We talked much about my father's pending return. When dad comes back, we will fix the basketball net, take a trip to grandma, stay up later. Mom used his coming to comfort and caution, and she could do both with the same phrase. With soft assurance, your dad will be home soon. Or clenched teeth, your dad will be home soon. She circled his arrival date on the calendar and she crossed out each day as it passed. And she made it clear, Dad's coming would be a big deal. And it was. Four decades have weathered the memories, but these still remain. The sudden smell of old spice in the house, his deep bellowing voice, gifts all around, and a happy sense of settledness. You see, Dad's return changed everything. The return of Christ will do likewise. Jude has a name for this event. He calls it the great day. The great day. Now this great day will be a normal day. People will drink coffee, endure traffic snarls, laugh at jokes, take note of the weather. Thousands of people will be born. Thousands will die. The scripture says the arrival of the Son of Man will take place in times like Noah's. Before the great flood, everyone was carrying on as usual, having a good time right up into the day Noah boarded the ark. They knew nothing until the flood hit and swept everything away. You see, Christ's coming will be unexpected. Most people will be oblivious, playing on the beach, enjoying life. The great day will catch most people off guard. And though we don't know everything about that day, we know this, that there will be a great shout. Have you heard this scripture from the book of 1 Thessalonians? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. 
before we see angels or hear trumpets or embrace our grandparents, we will be engulfed by Jesus' voice. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. All who are in their graves will hear his voice, and then they will come out. You see, the shout of God will trigger the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God. The archangel is the commanding officer. He will dispatch armies of angels to their greatest mission, and that is to gather the children of God into one great assemblage. Envision these silvered messengers spilling out of the heavens into the atmosphere. You'll more quickly count the winter snowflakes than you'll number these hosts. Jude announced that the Lord is coming with thousands and thousands of holy angels to judge everyone. On the great day, they will escort you into the skies where you will meet God. The scripture says he'll dispatch the angels and they'll pull in the chosen from pole to pole. So whether you are in Peoria or already in paradise, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can count on an angelic chaperone into the greatest gathering in history. Now we assume demons will gather the rebellious, we're not told. We are told, however, that the saved and the lost alike will witness the greatest assembly. You see, there will be a great gathering. Look at these words of Jesus. All the nations will be gathered before him. The Population Reference Bureau estimates that 106 billion people have been born since the dawn of the human race. Every single one of them will stand in the great assembly of souls. He who made us will convene us. The Lord, Jeremiah said, who scattered his people will gather them. Isaiah agreed. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. At some point in this great collection, our spirits will be reunited with our bodies. The scripture says it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. So paradise will give up her souls, the earth will give up her dead, and the sky will stage a reunion of spirit and flesh. As our souls re-enter our bodies, a massive sound will erupt around us. On that day, the scripture says, Heaven will pass away with a roaring sound. Everything that makes up the universe will burn and be destroyed. The earth and everything that people have done on it will be exposed. Now, Jesus had a phrase for this. He called it the recreation of the world. In this moment, God will purge every square inch that sin has contaminated, polluted, degraded, or defiled but we may not even notice the reconstruction for an even greater sight will appear before us. You see, there will be a great crowning. 
the scripture says, the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with great power and great glory. Oh, by this point, we will have seen much. The flurry of angels, the ascension of the bodies, the great gathering of the nations. We will have heard much. The shout of God and the angel, the trumpet blast, the purging explosion. But every sight and sound will seem a remote memory compared to what will happen next. He, speaking of Jesus, will be king and sit on his great throne. Friends, this is the direction in which all of history is headed. This is the moment toward which God's plot is moving. The details, the characters, uh, the antagonists, the heroes, the subplots, all arc in this direction. God's story carries us toward a coronation for which all creation groans. The scripture says for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. Oh, this is something special. You see, God's creation will return to its beginning, a one king kingdom. Our earth is plagued by multiple competing monarchs. Each one of us climbing ladders and claiming thrones, but we will gladly remove our crowns when Christ comes back for us. The scripture promises every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. Everyone, everyone in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone. Multitudes of people will bow low like a, like a field of windblown wheat, each one saying, Thou, O King, art the most worthy. There will be one monumental difference. Some people will continue the confession they began on earth and they will crown Christ again gladly. Others will crown him for the first time. They will do so sadly. They denied Christ on earth, so he will deny them in heaven. But those who accepted him on earth will live with God forever. Look at this promise from the book of Revelation. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people, and he is their God. The narrator makes the same point four times in four consecutive phrases. God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They are his people. He's their God. The announcement comes with the energy of a 10-year-old announcing the arrival of his father after a long trip. Daddy's home. Mom, he's back. This news is worthy of repetition. We shall finally see God face to face. Let this sink in. You will see the face of God. You will look into the eyes of the one who has always seen. You will behold the mouth that commands history. And if there is anything more amazing than the moment you see his face, it's the moment he touches yours. 
Scripture says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God will touch your tears. Not flex his muscles or show off his power. Lesser kings would strut their stallions or give a victory speech. Not our king. Not our God. He prefers to rub a thumb across your cheek as if to say, there, there. No more tears. Isn't that what a father does? There was much I didn't understand about my father's time in Maine, the responsibilities of his job, the daily activities, the reason he needed to go. I, I was too young to comprehend all the details, but I knew this much. He would come back. By the same token, who can understand what God is doing these days on earth? They can seem so difficult, right? Marred by conflict and, and saddened by separation. What is this world coming to, we wonder? God's answer, a great day. And on the great day of history, we will all be consummated in Christ. He will assume his position far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, not only in this age, but in the one to come. My friend, I ask you, are you ready for that day? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life, but he died a sinner's death. He took our place on the cross. He died for our sins. And he arose from the dead. And his resurrection is proof that he has power over sin and death. He wants you, you, to spend forever with him. He wants it to begin today and continue into eternity. Why don't you say yes to him? Say yes to him today.